Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 75 of the Design Exec Club Town Hall. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design. And today we're talking about design innovation and how do you get action? How do you make things happen? You might have had great ideas. You might have worked out all of the standards, all of your principles. You might have worked out how to have equity inclusion. You might be thinking about the environment. You've got everything happening. How do you get action to go happen with that? Mike, you're now a little bit freer to speak than you've been in the last number of years because you're not attached to a corporate at the moment, but you would have seen action and inaction challenges over the last years. I don't want to talk about the inaction as much, but talk about what's the magic formula to get action behind a great design project? Yeah, if we're in the big org and I'm not there now, I don't think I could speak any freer without inviting a than I did, I did previously without inviting lawsuits. So it's not like, wow, Mike's now, for, you know. So I think I'm just going to open with a bang and it's lie. How to get action, lie and bribe in a good way. So Can keep I a double set of books. You need to incubate your stuff secretly until it's too big to say no. And that's how you get things done. Okay, so I want to help out there because lie sounds like it's premeditated and dishonest. I think what No, you're not doing- dishonest at all. It's yeah. So it's like <clears throat> I'll use the 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 mobsters and the gangsters as an example, although they're kind of bad guys. But, you know, you keep a double set of books. You've got the official books and the real books, but you're a good guy. The, the official set of books is actually the bad books because it's about counting and measuring and all the garbage. But you've got a real set over here where you're actually doing stuff. Then you get to the point where, well, you can't say no, the proof's already there and da 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 But you need to be in a position to sort of, you can't do it unless you're in that position to, to okay. hide okay. and hoard and create create walls and, and, and do that. But sometimes good lying. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to see if I can actually try to go and uh, massage that a little bit. It sounds like there's a zombie apocalypse coming at the project and they anything they can say no, it has to stop, that they're going to do that. And so what you're trying to do is create a little bit of opacity so that they can't see the fledgling stage of the project so that you can actually get the momentum to the point that the moment of belief is able to be realised and the zombie apocalypse can't overrun the success of the project. Is that a polite way of saying it? Yeah, equally, though, I talk about other projects that should stop and won't stop as zombies as well. They're the other zombies. Let's get into into when you realise that now you're actually doing harm to society because of the actions that you've got and how do you actually arrest that. But, okay, so Mm. you've started really well there. Amber, you'll have a totally different framing. How do you get action behind some of these projects? How do you make sure that they get their momentum up? Uh, no zombies in any examples I could bring to the table. Thanks, Mike. Um, this year's been a real year of change, not only obviously lockdown, but used this year and half of last year as a bit of an incubation model to say what's going to be the next 10 years for the business and for society and for our clients and economy, etc. Um, the way that I've helped the business sort of create change and then that with that change comes obviously action is really about finding the white space first, firstly mm-hmm. to be able to think about what, what's the dream? What do we want to do? How do you set a vision and then how do you engage people on that vision? So firstly, for me personally, when I'm thinking about my clients or I'm thinking about the business, it's always about just trying to find the white space in your day or in your week or in your month to be able to enable that level of sort of creative and strategic thinking. And secondly, I think in order to take a big dream and and deliver that with action, you have to bring people on the journey. So you have to build a team around you of people who care about those same things, want to help you build that vision um, and work, you know, and literally sort of break up that dream into something bite-sized chunks that everyone can work towards and you know like any big project you put many milestones in everyone feels like they're achieving something and you you kind of progressively get through it and then you celebrate those milestones as as best as you can I think one of the barriers to action is always either biting off more than you can chew not making enough progress and then by virtue of that everyone gets disappointed and gives up so taking sort of bite-sized chunks um is, I think, yeah, the, the biggest way to deliver 
deliver action and and engaging people like you've got to build a team around you right if people who care about whatever it is that you want to action whether it's clients whether it's an internal project a side hustle whatever it is yeah no that that makes a lot of sense there um dave how about for you um how have you built action behind things um well i like zombies they're, they're perfect for my business because they're the ones that identify or shows the problems. If they keep doing the same thing over and over again, then I see that as an opportunity to um, make a zombie's life a little bit more fluid, I guess. it's I've got to have feelings. I've got to empathize with the zombies, which is why I guess I've got to like them. And um, it's, it's what um, Amber just said was it's having the right team around to help the zombies. I'm really glad that Mike started with zombies because it makes it really simple for me to for me to start. But my business is built on it. I created a business to solve a problem in a print industry, the signage industry. So I love it. I built a team around me, and now I get to sit back and watch how it works. And if I feel I need to get involved in the process to maybe speed it along, accelerate it, then then I choose to do so. But yep. it's, it's, it's getting to this, I guess the action is, is really the start for yep. me. And it's, it's actually beginning to empathize with the zombie. And so I think that, what, that idea that you've been able to find a behavioral pattern, a situation, observation, and then work out where the gap is and go and insert at that point to, to then uh, create action and, and a difference there. Okay. My, my, my company motto now is ideas innovated for impact. From a signage perspective, it's quite unique. It, it's new. There's not so much out there that take this innovative approach, which is advice and guidance, and then deliver the product. Cool. All right. Lorena, help us out there. How have you managed to go get action behind your projects? How have you got that momentum going? Um, I guess is just having a voice, really push for what you believe. Um, I, I know for me to give you an example in my business with COVID, um, working in property, people are very used to having to meet face-to-face, -face, having to show up with drawings, having to show up with actual finishes boards and things like that to make decisions. And COVID this last two years had forced people to get out of their comfort zone and start making decisions remotely and in, you know embrace technology a little bit more to keep the flow of work. I know for my business, I established the remote, so the remote services about 10 years ago. And I still had clients wanting for me to go to a meeting and drive and spend three hours just so that we can look at one item. Um, COVID all of a sudden got all those people that were so comfortable in doing things you know, in a traditional way to embrace something new. And that allowed me to take a lot of action. If anything, my business has done so much better because of COVID because my remote systems have been playing on for 10 years that people just feel really comfortable saying, okay, I understand how Lorena works. She can share the screen and we can make decisions without being next to each other. That is on one end part of the business and how I operate. So it's kind of, you know, making people a little bit uncomfortable to embrace new things. And when it comes to the industry that I specialize in, which is property, is again, making people uncomfortable because as Amber said, we, we, we're setting up new rules now, you know, we're setting up new rules on how we live and the product that we're delivering for people as far as homes. And, you know, we're delivering something that is not going to be, um, you know, people don't get to enjoy it for another four years. So how do we design something today for someone that's moving in in four mm -hmm. years? And that's just been um, interesting. And some, the summary I can get out of that is that you found success by taking people into a new paradigm or new framing so that there's the projects actually get their momentum, but you've taken them somewhere that they normally wouldn't be. And that's it's, giving you an opportunity. It's having that conversation. Sometimes it's uncomfortable and, and, and triggering people. Some people, you know, triggering that fear, how to make that fear be a little bit more comfortable, I guess. Cool. All right. Richard, how have you created momentum? How have you got action? Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, look, I think the first thing is uh, from a design point of view, if, you're, if you are a problem solver, you tend to jump pretty quickly to try and find a solution which either comes through intuition or through some thinking. I think the first thing to get action is to stop and to think about the problem. 
and to gather your thoughts. Um, I was just uh, reading something about uh, from Jim Collins who talked about a quote from uh, Eisenhower that said, leadership is the art of getting people to do what must be done. And uh, I think that comes back to the idea that you actually also have to get action. You've got to get action for something that actually significantly matters. Comes back to that idea I always talk about, does it, does it deserve to exist? Uh, what they were saying in this article was that <clears throat> as a leader, you have to know what has to be done. That's the first thing as a leader. Then you've got people, you've got to get people to want to, to do what has to be done. And then it's the art of making this all to happen. So that's where collectively as everyone speaking on the, on, the, on the show today is about getting a team around you. But I think significantly to get action, people have got to really believe in it. And that's the leader's most difficult uh, challenge is to put it into, into conceptualize it so that everyone can actually mm. be part of our journey. Um, that's, how I, that's how I see things. But I think first off, I'm starting to learn a lot in my career now, particularly this year, is don't react, stop, set back, think about it, put, a, put something in place that you bring your knowledge and your wisdom to, 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 uh, to, to give something that can, then can make a difference. So I, I get two, two things come into my mind there. One is that you've got like a catapult that you're doing, which is you're stopping and actually loading up the, the energy of the idea and the project before you're going to release it. <clears throat> and the, the other one there is that, you know, the idea that you're going to actually bring people along is such an important thing. Design innovation is about bringing people along. Technology innovation is about breaking through. And I think what we've seen in the startup industry is that there's been so many things like um, uh, jams and sprints, and they're all about breaking through. They're not about bringing along. And so many of us would have seen the, you know, the type of innovation thrust that corporates had had from, with technology innovation, they were really demonstration projects. They weren't sustainable. They hadn't worked out all the human factors. And in a lot of ways, they let people down because it was look at this shiny bit of technology rather than actually look at this solution that we've made for people. Sal, so you're next and you, you straddle those two worlds between technology innovation and design innovation. Do you think that's a reasonable summary about the breakthrough rather than the bring along? I think so. And, I, and at the same time, I think there's a lot of parallels with what the team has been talking about. Um, I had written down, we have to create space to create vision. And I think, you know, it talks about what Richard was saying to kind of stop and think about what needs to be done. Um, and also about what Amber was saying is that look for that space to sit down, create something, create a vision so that we can take the team along. And the reason why I think that leads to a breakthrough in technology is because I feel like when you create that and then you bring people along on the journey, so you create alignment with those around you, as in alignment on this is the zombie that we need to tackle, for example, that then promotes autonomy. It gets the team to not just take action, but to be to take proaction because they now feel brave. They now feel empowered and equipped to go on and take on the world and break through any kind of innovation barrier that they might be looking at. I feel like that is the kind of action that I've been focusing on. And I think there's a lot of parallels with what um, is being said here today. But very importantly, from um, what David said, is that in doing this, we can't lose focus on the human touch. Like we, we're bringing people along with us so that we can effect change to improve other people's lives and conditions. So I think the you know, layer of empathy, layer of, of human touch is really important to really drive meaningful action is, uh, is I guess, my, my perspective. Yeah. So the focus here has a lot to do with vision, doesn't it? It's, uh, if we're going to do a great design innovation project, it's going to have to, and get action behind it, it has to have something that people can believe in, is one. It has to go have, Amber, I think you highlighted that it needs to have a whole number of um, quick wins for them, you know, mile, uh, those micro wins along the way you're not leaving it too long but you're and then if I go back to what Mike was talking about that also gives the demonstration of this thing actually is building momentum and it's getting somewhere and you've been able to articulate what that longitudinal journey is um, if we can't get that vision right we can't actually connect to the people who are going to work on the project and the people who are trying to go kill the project you know we 
our momentum and our action is thwarted there. Mike, you mentioned something very interestingly, which was projects that maybe have to die. I would like to, yeah, I, I, <laughs> everything must die, says Mike, and this is a common theme, so, you know, strap in again. Um, bringing lean product and lean service development, lean design and whatever, mm -hmm. to organisations, we continually found that there's so many, so many initiatives going on that the organisation may not even know about, let alone once you do, then all these ones need to actually maybe stop um, because they don't have value or the value is the market's changed or, or whatever. And so there's all of this internal politics stuff. So we've taken people along on the journey, but now they're sort of barnacled onto the thing. This is what you want at the beginning, but later on you want to be able to de-barnacle them. I don't know, I'm making up new terms, barnacles on, on zombies. They are the barnacle. Anyway, I'd like to start a decelerator. So everyone's talking about accelerators. I think organizations should be able to pull the cord and say, right, we need to decelerate this thing intentionally. At least ask the questions that would lead to deceleration or turning it off or the kill you know, kind of concept around products and things. It's just having a safe space around that that, that isn't there. So people are invested personally. So I was gonna go back to the first question and, and reiterate or change my mind completely and say, no, Actually, what it, what it is to get action is a partner in crime for Mike. I need one person that I can spire with against the world because the systems and the man's against me and stuff and time and all this. I need one person that I can conspire with and have conversations about the Communist Manifesto and all this sort of stuff. And so the world will be great. And this is why skateboarders are great innovators because they're like sneaking against the man who's going to, you know, and they're, they're skating on walls and things that they're not meant to be. And they're, they're, they're great innovators for that reason. And then it's, well, what am I helping this other person do? Well, take, take greater risks, not the technology thing. It's help as a person to take greater risks. So it's helping me and this other person as a support system. But then, but then once we're in BAU, people are ensconced to the thing for their own ends. And our own ends are fine. We all need to eat. We all need to get satisfaction. We all need to like what we're doing. I might like who I'm working with as well. I just want to keep this project going. So I think the decelerator needs to provide safe off-ramps for all of those people and things. Um, and that's not there. And that's why you have, when you go into large publicly funded media organization that I went into one time and there was about 150 projects and we just couldn't turn any of them off. Yep. And now, now there's, there's actually some humans out there, people who haven't been uh, you know, wetted in corporate speak, Help me out. What's a BRU? Isn't that something that uh, sits on the outside of my my car and uh, a mechanic works on it? What's a BRU? I don't even know what you're talking about. BRU is just a dumb term that I should shut the hell up and not use. It's business as usual. So we've... Okay. Okay, right, right, right. So in my mind, what oh, just happened over the last... BAU. Oh, okay, right. Okay, I had an R. Right. No, BAU, business as usual, sorry. And sorry, what happened in the last 10 minutes while others were talking, I was thinking about, right, there's a difference, and obviously there's a difference, I had forgotten, between creating stuff and maintaining stuff. And we're talking about creating. You need to get the elbows in there, and that's why the double diamond is shaped like that. It's two elbows going, get out of my way, everyone. And then you keep it open for as long as you can, and then it closes. But then the business as usual, operationalizing, extracting, and all, all that's different. And that's where the zombies and the barnacles, and we need to create off-ramps for people. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can I just build on that? Yeah. Um, Mike, very amusing um, Wednesday morning discussion. Um, I think part of leadership, which is what we're talking about, you know, establishing a vision and, and selling that dream, part of leadership and getting action is knowing when to inaction, which is what you're talking about, Mike, because you can have a vision and have a dream and part of a leader's job is knowing when to turn that off, when to unplug it, when to pivot, when to stop and go, actually, this isn't working or it's, you know, I've been thinking about things as just everything's a pilot program during COVID. Everything I say, yep, this is just a pilot program. Knowing when to stop and when to stop investing in something when, you know, it's the same with, you know, creative outcomes. Knowing when to pivot a team and go, you know what, this isn't working. We need to start again. We need to get fresh blood. We need to rethink it. We need to bring in consultants or we're just going to pull the pin completely is a really important part of action. Mm. And and so I think for some people, and I, as, as emotive as a lot of Mike's 
imagery is there like barnacles on thing. If somebody, if their imagination has been that they get a run for their career out of a project, they're likely to want to just keep that thing going. And, and I think one of the differences is if you're on the supply side and you've got then a, a very defined box, which is you've been given this amount of time, these amount of resources, and we're expecting this outcome. That's actually, that maintains itself quite well because you can turn around and say, well, actually, let's pull the pin here. So I think, Amber, in your world, that, that, that's a little bit more manageable. But for Mike's world, where, where he was coming from big corporates, there's people who have actually got their promotion they've been waiting for for a number of years. And if this project doesn't continue going on, where the hell do they go? And so one of the things I found when I was working with big corporates was that I had to work out where everybody was going to go when we were trying to kill the project because we got to exactly what you spoke about, Amber. We, we realised that this was not the thing that we should be doing. And if we couldn't work out where everybody was going to go, we couldn't actually kill the project. We, we couldn't pivot. We couldn't change it. We couldn't iterate it. We, it just was couldn't because there were so many people who were invested in it. And then they cascaded out through reporting structures to another seven people, another seven people, another seven people. And all of a sudden, you've just got this momentum of a busload of people who want to keep the thing going because it helps their career. And they really don't want to have that much change. They're, they're not that responsible to the project. They're responsible to what they think is their imagination of their future. And that's such an interesting dilemma to come up there. Dave, you would have seen over the years where, uh, particularly working on the type of projects that you are, that there were things that um, may not have um, had a reason to continue to exist, but they kept on going. <laughs> Several times a week, it would happen. Um, but without, I guess, the, the people that are thinking, getting the right headspace, and that's from, from whether you're an architect, um, whether you're a brand designer, whether you're a signage maker, whether you're hosting this sort of um, forum, for me, it's getting people in the right headspace. It's making sure they are, they do have the right space available to start being problem solvers. So I solve problems, not for me, but for others. They're not my sign, they're for them. So sometimes if it has to go on a 50-story building, I have to consider a lot more issues than they have at, at the start. So from acceleration, I'm not sure deceleration, acceleration, I've put it down to just knowing the right speed to go at. So there's different, when you go through a school zone, this is when you start, this is when empathy begins. And then towards the end, when you've gone through your prototyping and you're, and you're happy with what you're doing, that's accelerate because that's where you're gonna make the difference once it gets to the end. So. We have that all the time in our business because there's lots of ideas, there's thoughts. It comes to me and I have to accelerate to make it happen in six weeks' time. Or, but I was told I was going to have 12 weeks. So now my problem becomes much bigger than what they expect and, and my day stays the same. So yeah. now I have six weeks to do it. So knowing when to accelerate, knowing when to slow down is getting some people involved at every loop. Mm. And, and what's interesting, I think, for your world, and uh, I think it's going to be the same when I go across to Lorena, is that there's moments of truth, which are dates in calendars that have to be met. You know, if it's a, if it's a, a building site, there's a hoarding that needs to go up. There's a, there's a, um, a tower that's going up. These, these things are dictated by dates in calendars. And that gets, that, that has its own trouble. But if you, you still need to have the courage to say, maybe we shouldn't actually hit that date. Maybe we shouldn't actually go do that thing, which is that deacceleration thing, isn't it? You, you need to be able to have that leader's voice of saying, maybe it's not the time to go hit that deadline. Because as Amber was saying, you, you've gotten a good understanding that some of the factors aren't right. So, Lorena, help, help us out here. You, you're working on projects which, are, which have that, timeline, you know, they're built space construction projects. How do you help your clients when the action actually needs to, as we're talking about, the decelerate rather than the accelerate because something may not be resolved. It's a, it's no, a difficult it's, thing. It's a combination of what you guys are all talking about. And, and, and you mentioned a word that is just key and it would just change. 
And then Mike really mentioned the corporate world, right? So here you have a world where we have a lot of creatives that we're very comfortable with improving and have an embracing change. And then you have people that are bankers and lawyers and developers that are all about the, you know, the fine print. Um, how do we get them out of their comfort zone, right? Without friction, there's no change. And without change, there's no action. So it, whether it's a, you know, it's, it's just picking the right moment, especially in housing, we, you know, Australia enjoys a very healthy industry when it comes to real estate and, and property. Um, so why change something that's not broken? So we need to pick and choose which areas we are going to create that friction to not convince people, but to let them, you know, open their minds and engage in conversation with what we present as ways of improving, improving people's lifestyles. I remember a, a lovely story that was told to me about uh, the team at Kappa, the, um, uh, the Spanish shoe brand. And uh, they made sure in every meeting there was an empty seat in at every meeting that they have. And that's to remind them that the person that they're doing the project for is the person who's in that empty seat. So that they always got that idea that there was, this isn't about us as the team. It isn't about the person who's paying the bills. It's actually, there is a voice that isn't present in this room and that's the beneficiary of the project. And I think that was a really interesting device for them because it continually, it was an omnipresent reminder that there was somebody who was never in the room that they were meant to be going and talking about. Like that to me is gold. Can I add something on that? Because that is the one thing that, at least in, in my experience, it is completely key. And I think when we have, you know, the experts in our field on one table in property, at least, everybody has an opinion, right? And if we were to bring another person, that person has a different opinion. And at the end of the day, we're looking and comparing how much that project sold or what that person wanted. But we are on this cycle. We need to stop and go out there and do research and understand consumer behaviors in any areas, you know, from music, from design, from branding, from signage, how are people really responding to the messaging that's out there currently in the market? And that really, um, I guess, plays a part in any part of design, to be honest. I think that's a great point. And um, I know I've said this before, but, um, I think our education sector needs to, to come to really focus more on the end user as part of the creative process, no matter what discipline. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people talk about being user-centered, but they're not really being user-centered. It feels like just a term that everyone's kind of throwing around and really just to, to get their own agenda across. But I know that the cultural impact of um, seeing generations of designers being really focused on themselves and then when the work is not effective and it goes into research the the kind of heartbreaking disappointment that they feel that they have produced something that um it has not resonated uh and really you know we talk all the time at work it's obviously the, the work that people are producing is not about them it's about the end user uh and people need to decouple the emotional attachment they have to it being a a, a piece of personality that they're attaching to the work versus work for someone else and I think in our education system if we can focus more on the end user that's going to really help that um, the the impact of that in the generation of future designers. Couldn't agree more there Amber. I'm, I'm often wondering should we really be calling the work that uh, designers are in is actually in the creation sector not the creative sector you know mm. so much so much of the creative sector is actually about self-expression whereas yeah. the creation sector is you're paying me to create something for you and you're mm -hmm. actually paying me to create something which is for somebody that you wish to go get leverage with whether that's a cultural leverage whether it's financial leverage is it stakeholder leverage but you want me to get some leverage which is so different than i'd like to create something <laughs> You know, and, and I'm going to be creative about it. It's this, and and I find it maddening that the two get so confused there. Now, Richard, I'm going to throw it across to you because I, you mentioned the idea of actually jump, and you also mentioned the idea of stop. But I'm not. Sure, is it really stop or is it load up? You know, because because I think that's what you're talking about is 
but you've got the brief, you've got the insights. It's not so much that you're stopping, it's actually that you're loading up. It's a, it's a particular task that's happening because stop sounds to me like inaction, no inertia, but you're very active at this stage, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a great way of saying it, actually, Mark. I like that idea of loading up. My point is that you need to pause, you need to consider, you need to reflect, and you need to go inward. And you need to, as a creative, I'm talking as a creative person, you need to let the idea find you, and you need to create that space for that. And to take Amber's point, yeah, sure, you've got to think about the customer, but the customer only knows what it knows. And you never get anything moving forward if you just listen to everyone else. You actually have to have the strength and the purpose and the ability to actually say, Mark, load up, set it up in the paradigm, set the paradigm up, go into the meeting, have the facts and figures, and also encourage your client to take risk into going into something new. Because there's nothing worse than design that's just repetitive of the same thing. I've seen it before, but I like it. Well, you, you like it. Uh, but you don't know what you don't like until you see it. So that's the designer's, that's the designer's role. I think this whole idea of, I mean, design is a verb, uh, it's an active, and I like, always like the idea of moving from inertia into something that has momentum. The biggest difficulty at the moment in the COVID scenario is that everyone is, is actually incubating because there's sort of a safety and you're sort of unsure but we actually, there are, there is this first green shoots of new things happening because the, the marketplace is shifting, people's headspace is shifting, they're, open. They're, they're, they're likely to be open to new things. What are those new things is, is the critical issue. Uh, but from my point of view, there's no other way to go but forward. But what is, what is the way forward? Yeah. Design can help, uh, can, can help sort of bring that to life. I think um, one of your fellow town haulers in the US, Dan Formosa, he, um, he has a, a great line, which is in the, in the Google age, I could give you a quick answer or I could give you the correct answer in a little bit of time. You know, they, it's, it's actually interesting that that's the loading up thing. It's uh, the knee jerk, uh, I need to go almost like in a press conference, I need to give an answer now is not necessarily the best answer. It's the most immediately available answer. So in, that, in, that, in that process, Mark, in the loading up, as you're talking about, there's the anxiousness of taking on the job of loading up, and then you've got to do something with that. Now, that is that's is going to the new territories. It's a very, very soul-searching sort of activity. Uh, and then you're actually, then the other thing, of course, is you take on the responsibility of solving a problem. Now that's an enormous that's an enormous psychological thing in its own right as well that you're now charged with the with the responsibility of being the complex problem solver. Um, you know, it's it's quite a fascinating um, thought that loading up. That you yeah. Just so, so I want to go across to you uh, about loading up because um, I'm sure, like some of the projects that I've been involved in, often digital projects that they you realise that you didn't load up enough at the beginning, that you didn't have all of the facts, you didn't have all of the details and it comes back and bites you. Is it something that is uh, able to be built into the DNA, the, the culture of how you approach projects? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> and I'm glad you mentioned the word culture because it is this ongoing education that we're trying to have on every single engagement and approach that we put together. And really it's around this education that nothing is finished, that nothing is finite. There's, it's always changing, it's forever changing, and we need to be cognizant of that. And so when we go in with an experimental mindset or paradigm, we can then allow the customer in this case to understand that we're not designing for ourselves, we're designing for the behavior of others, and we need to then test to see if this is going to resonate with them. And then if it doesn't, don't consider this a failure, consider this a result of the experiment and then let's change based on what we've learned. Let's load up again. So, you, you know, it's, so if you don't get a chance to load up all the way up front, hey, why don't we keep experimenting and loading up as we go and finding out more information and then pivoting and changing um, based on what we find out. I love that idea. Sorry, Mark, to cut in there, I love that idea of the failure to actually have the capacity in your time frame to allow for failure because from yeah. failure, you get to the right point. You know, Edison's yeah. uh, light bulb, I think, scenario, hundreds and yeah. hundreds of ideas until he got the light bulb, you know. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, so there is one thing that's fine out on this call, and we know Amber has to get to another call but before she goes. So we've loaded up Amber with a whole bunch of ideas like we've done with the rest of you. But before you go, Amber, 
is there anything that we haven't actually heard from you which relates to the topic here? Because we all know there's points where you have to go get some things out or it might be that you say forever hold your peace now. Not really. I do like the idea. I do think what we just touched on regarding failure is really important because, um, that, again, that's a leadership skill in knowing when to not action or when to pull the pin uh, or kill it, as Mike said. So I think having the confidence um, to see failure as a learning opportunity um, that's going to lead to, you know, a new pathway or a new action is um, really important skill, I suppose. I think, and so to me, the failure is, uh, it needs one other bit of culture in there. And that, that is that everything that you're doing is an experiment. If everything that you do is an experiment, therefore you have things that actually succeed through the experiment or they fail the experiment. But if you haven't got the culture that everything that you're doing is an experiment, failure winds up being something personal for, for people. Okay, and cool. in Australia, it particularly becomes something very personal. And so I think what we need to do is make sure that, as we were talking with Celso with culture, that if you're going to have a, a success or failure model, you need to get the culture of these are experiments. It's not a personal validation. Mm. Otherwise, people just take it way too hard and, that, and that's terrible for them. Amber, I know you have to go. Um, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad that you were able to sneak in the time and, and made a priority. Um, Thanks. Thanks, everyone. All right, so let's keep going here. And I'm going to actually say, everybody, open your mics up and let, let's keep doing this. For the, and let's have a chat. Action, inaction, working out how to go and actually um, shut down a project, working out how to actually get it to change course. Lorena, how have you gone on being able to go get clients to be able to take a, a site, nudge them into a different direction? Is it something that you, you know, it's a black art that you maybe don't even understand the skills yourself, but uh, you, you go do it. But give us an idea because working in the hospitality area, things change dramatically, don't they? Right. I mean, I it's all on personality, really. There are people that open changes and there are people that are open-minded and there are people that are really conservative and concerned of change. So we need, I know for me, I try to read my clients, you know, I have clients from different parts of the world, different backgrounds. So I try to just make sure that I design based on what his strengths or, or, or her strengths are. Uh, if they are, you know, I, I just try to find where they're able to, where can I add that friction? without burning the relationship, basically, you know, to just put it lightly like that. Um, that's, that's really, you know, I am a creative person, so I never want to do things twice. I, I have a method of doing my work and I follow that because it's a way of running my business. But when it comes to my creativity, I, I can't do the same thing twice. So, you know, clients, they see what I have done in the past and many times they want to just do the same thing, right? Just it worked there, just do it here. And that to me is like death. So I try to figure out what can I change to still make it unique, keep it to my integrity and allow them to, you know, feel part of it as well. There's a, there's a great um, uh, podcast that was done by um, Seth Gooden uh, with Debbie Millman. And, uh, and Seth is turning around these, He's discussing about when people go to book him, he asks them, do you want the red pill or the blue pill? Yeah. And it's actually, do you want my latest work or do you want my best work? Right. And, and his latest work is stuff which is fresh and hasn't been proven, whereas his best work is the best sellers. Right. And he said, really, he in one of them, he's actually being fresh and creative. The other one, he's really being a... Um, like a tribute band who's actually playing the greatest hits. Right. My clients, I mean, I always measure them. And I read this in a book by Daniel Pink, to be honest. And, and I think he mentions about four personalities of the people that you're constantly selling to. 
I only remember the three because they fit my clients perfectly. One is the one that's afraid of losing. So when we go after an idea, we have to say, you're not going to lose money. This is, you know, we have to always go towards that person. Then we have the personality that has the ego, right? So we need to say, you're going to be better than the competition. You're going to be, so we, you know, I need to figure out how to, how to trigger that button. And then you have the one, it's how you're going to make money, right? So one wants to make money, wants to, the other one wants to be impressed and the other one doesn't want to make a mistake. So I, I'm constantly having to, to balance all those personalities. You know, I think that's such an interesting um, concept because the way that, um, that we try and approach that is by involving the client as much as possible. Because when we're saying, hey, we're going to come to you and we're going to bring you what we think the change should be, what we don't want is that they don't observe what were the signals that pushed us in that direction right at the end, because then it's going to be our opinion versus theirs, because we haven't afforded them the opportunity to erase their own bias. And so, you know, there's, if you spent even a second in the experience design field, you would have known that um, uh, this quote by Don Norman, we must design for the way people behave, not for how, we would wish them to behave and that sparks the conversation of so, so what does that mean and, and and what does that mean for our new relationship it means that we're going to involve you because i want you to observe the need mm-hmm. i don't want us to just tell you what we think the need is i want you to observe it so that there is no uh, misalignment at the end so that they can see what the change needs to be and then it's almost like we can almost in a way take a, a back seat and say and they become the, the, the driving force for the change themselves. So we're doing that as a way to educate and equip our, our customers and obviously in varying ways. So we have different levers for that, but that's kind of, you know, uh, what I, think, what uh, I, what I think sparked Kel, my Kel, thought there. Kelsey, that's, that's, that's such an insightful uh, comments there because it's about being more than creative. It's being able to articulate a scenario and I love that idea of the bias because uh, I perhaps use the words uh, you don't know until you, you don't know what you don't know. But if you're actually working with someone's bias and you can tease that out and give them a comfort zone as a bridge to move, not be um, frightened about acknowledging, you know, go with the bias, if you know what I mean, and take them into yeah. a different, uh, it's like yeah. a keyhole, open the door to another room and they walk in and they see from the edge and they see the potential and you've helped them through your articulating and through your caring. You know, the caring of where the client is in their mindset because at the end of the day you want to get your project through so you work with the client's bias so I, yeah. I love what you were just saying there because that's very good and i think you know one of the themes that had come up in in some of our other conversations has been the idea about the designer having a role to actually be uncomfortable and to walk into the future of those scenarios for the the people and how they will behave and so that you, what you need to do with that is that you need to make sure that you're getting a really good opportunity at trying to understand, to build that empathy without delaying the action. You know, the, the loaded part is, is the important thing. If you can't get that element loaded into your project, you're likely to struggle to go get the outcome that, that is going to I think I, I think, I, I think on that mark too, just building on that is that, you know, by the what Kelso was talking about, by acknowledging the biases, you actually take yourself into a new room as well. So you go to that third point, uh, and you know the creative mind then is allowed to flow a bit further and open up even further. So, you know, it's a very it's a one plus one equals three plus three plus three type of scenario. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, that's right. I would add on to that. Oh, sorry, Mark. No, go for go for Kelso. I said what I was going to add on to that is that when, when we kick off projects, we have kind of two kickoffs. We have our internal kickoff and then one with the client, right? right? And for our internal kickoff, one of the things that we often mention is that we want to be comfortable with ambiguity because that's where we're starting. We're starting at a point where we don't know. We don't know where we're going to go. We are confident in the tools and in the experience and the capabilities that we have to get somewhere but we need to be comfortable with that ambiguity and just trust that this team is going to get it right whatever right looks like we don't know what that is and i think that that also provides that kind of blank canvas to go it's okay that i feel like this because i feel like this at the beginning of every project but then that ambiguity kind of erodes and a certain level of confidence 
starts to rise towards the end of the of the process because now we're starting to see the signals it's more tangible we understand the path that we're on and we've understood what we need to do so i think there's a level of when we're starting we need to be comfortable with that ambiguity and and i i definitely um we definitely need to provide an a culture of that as well so the fail understanding that that is safe to do so but also don't be worried about not knowing everything in the beginning that's a good place to start when yeah. we're trying to be creative it, and it's it's really interesting I, I think the first response that any designer should be having in there when right. they get a brief is just i don't know <laughs> you know it's like it, it, it's the well yeah. i'm asking well the correct answer is i don't know i need to do some things that will help me to know to get loaded up and to get there i'm going to go through and do a, a wrap-up round here mike help us out as we go wrap up we've had zombies we've had killing projects we've had leeches we've had barnacles what have you got for us uh i want to break it a little bit because we think about the ultimate customer or user that's the c2c thing the person out there but what if you can't even see them or touch them in mining i'm doing a project at the moment and they sell rock and dirt and there's kind of no customer who can and so it ends up being the person upstream so really your customer is in a lean sort of a value train chain sign of a setting the, the next person along who maybe holds a little bit more risk importance than you and so you need to frame what you're doing around that and so back to what Celso was saying about the, um, being uncomfortable with going in and saying well I don't know but we're still talking about the customer problem what you should know a lot about and be really confident is how I'm going to work with this person in front of me that's my 80% customer that needs to work because if that relationship and that journey doesn't work, don't worry about your ability to solve the the real customer's problem. So it's like, we don't really talk about that enough. And so if that person doesn't want to work in a collaborative way and we're trying to force it here, have some user experience. We're going to be modern and progressive. If they don't want to work that way, you've got a problem, but you still need to find a way to make it work. So I think that person is the, is the real customer in many respects. Yeah. And I think, you know, if when I look at the projects that come through the design awards, we can tell the ones where there was a, um, a less attention on the end user than than there than there could have been, and you know so outstanding work has actually had that focus on the end user's need. Average work had um, say a focus on the on the commissioning customers' needs, and I and I think that's a there's this you don't always get the opportunity for those two things to come together. When they do, they are absolutely astounding. But yeah, um, yeah it's not fortunate uh, that everybody gets that every time. You know, there's there's other issues that come in there. Mm -hmm. Dave, how about for you um, in a wrap-up round? What are we going to hear from you? I, I learned something off you and it's to be relevant. Um, for the confidence comes from, from my companies is that we've built that relevance of who we are, what we stand for and what we know. So we give some guidance and advice, might not necessarily the, be the best advice at the beginning, but we'll refine and define what that is thinking of that end user. So for me, it's a narrative. It's you, you use stop earlier on, I'd use pause. It's, much, it's a much softer word to use. You know, loading up is really about defining and redefining an idea. So anyone who has an input of an idea for me is one of those people that should be sitting at the table yeah. because at least they've got the voice, at least they've got the confidence to say what they think and, and trying to add, add some value into the, into the design or the creation um, from a creative side of it. So for me, it's, it's how you describe, like what Lorena said, I have three different types of staff. So I've actually got to be able to talk three different languages in my own business, not, not just to my clients. So I learned patience, um, how to use different words and try and keep it as simple as possible so I don't have to keep doing it over and over and over again because, like Lorena said, it gets frustrating and I mean, I'd be as well be talking to the wall. But I keep going because I want my point across. I'm not going to give up. And that's why we sit here today as, as idea people. We don't give up. I'm not going to stop thinking the way I think. Now I get that. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Lorena, how about for you, uh, as far as um, a wrap-up here for your thoughts about action? Um, I mean, I love what Richard mentioned about articulating your ideas. I think that's really important for, I know for my company, is how to articulate our 
presentations and I, you know, we've been become so much more proficient in different softwares. We no longer just specialize in one software in the way that we that we document, for example, we have brought in our software creation, you know, we have to, you know, include video on presentations, PDFs, like just trying to just find new ways to articulate our ideas, our thoughts, our planning, you know, just to have conversation with our clients. And that's really what's the action that we're taking at the moment. Yeah, no, fantastic. Appreciate that. Richard, um, for you, you're at the moment, you're the captain of um, uh, stop, pause and load up. What's a, what's a wrap up from you? Um, I just think it comes back, we're all talking about relationships and I think ultimately trust that uh, who you're talking to and who you're working with on the journey together, but I think there is a lot of tr trust to be placed in the creative that actually can can see the future and bring people along with with, with it, and also to make sure that the that the the cust the client who, as uh, Mike said, is eighty percent of the relationship, actually allows you and, and believes in you and allows you to, to to help them take them forward. I think that's that to me is uh, if you've got that if you've got if you've got that. Um, Commitment. Well, then there is that room to move and to think and to 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 define and consider, as as Dave was saying. No, thank you very much, Salso. You're going to take us home here, and we're going to close it out. Uh, what's your thoughts here on action wrapping up? Give it to us. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I think like we need to know why we're here. What are we here to do? I think there needs to be direction. There needs to be vision, but not just vision for vision's sake. It's about creating alignment because when you have that alignment like I was saying before alignment promotes autonomy autonomy allows space for proaction and I feel like when we have people behind that vision behind that momentum that's how we can gather enough speed being comfortable with being uncomfortable and driving the culture of being that everything is finite and this is all a bunch of experiments and it doesn't matter what the result is we get a result and we understand and we learn and we keep moving forward yeah i think that's the important thing learning and keeping moving forward that sounds to me like we've got some action moment everybody thank you so much for letting uh, letting me walk around inside your minds as we discussed action who would have thought one word could have filled up a 50 55 minutes of conversation Always humbled to be in your presence. Always humbled to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike.